Zone One Radio. Hello, I'm Ian Hawkins. You're listening to Zone One Radio. This is London Life. Coming up this week, we went to City Read London and met Sebastian Fawkes. Erin and Candice found out a little bit more about Fagin. We went to the Ig Nobel Awards. By me, I mean me and my producer, Ollie Hunter. And of course, always innovating here at Zone One Radio. And we are introducing this week, it starts now, Ollie Hunter's Tube Tips. Insert jingle here. Yeah, there'll be a good jingle here. So let's kick off with the song. I like the sound of Elvis Costello and the attractions. And as we have a literary theme, why not go for Every Day I Write the Book? Yes, we went to City Read London. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, okay, so City Read, it's a campaign organised through libraries. A campaign, yeah, to get everyone to read the same book, which is awkward because it means everyone has to crowd round and turn the pages at the same time. <laughs> this this year, it's um, a week in December. Yep. And we caught up with Sebastian Fox. We you're, reading, you're reading a week I'm in December. I'm reading. It's really good. I'm enjoying it. It's got. I'm reading it very slowly because I've got so many other bits and bobs to do. But it's one of those things that I, if I don't enjoy a book, I race through it. And if I do enjoy a book, I, I tend to take more time with it and enjoy it a bit more. And it's very rich. It's got loads of great characters in it. And he said he wanted something that was quite Dickensian in feel. 
so that it had lots of uh, lots of characters with, you know, with interesting stories and different different takes on the world. And it's it's I wouldn't say it's, it's laugh out loud funny, but it's it's quite light in the way that it approaches some quite serious subjects, and we can see that they're going they're going to develop as the novel moves on. Well, here we are. Ollie, where are we? You've got us into this joint. What is it? Um, well, this is the launch of a, uh, it's a initiative by City Read, where they're going to get London talking about one specific book. Okay. And, and that, that book is A Week in December. Which I haven't read, which is... Yet, but yet. that's the point. That's the point oh, of this okay. whole event. And they're going to give, as well as this lovely glass of free wine, are they going to give... Yeah, are they going to give me the... Are they going to give me the book? No, you're going to have to buy that. So it's a, oh, it's a publishing, it's a publishing wheeze for some whoever, whoever the author of this book is. Who is it? Uh, it's Sebastian Foltz, actually. I oh, stood over there. Should we go and he stood over there? I'm yeah. going to challenge him on this. Okay. So we're with Sebastian Foltz, the author of of. of um, a week in December. A week in December. Sorry, I've just been told you've got to say it's vintage books, and that bit of information went in and pushed the other bit of information out. Um, but the main thing I want to ask is how do you feel about West Ham moving into the Olympic Park? Well, I think it's made them rather unpopular with a lot of people, but they're um, unpopular with a lot of people anyway. But um, I wish them well. I mean, there's plenty of room there for the old long ball to be pumped up, and let's hope it finds the head of Andy Carroll. Very good. Uh, well, what I wanted to know is... Um, I am a terrible writer. You're obviously brilliant. And, and when you made the change from being a journalist into a, into an author, was that quite a wrench? No, I'd been um, writing novels since I was about 22 anyway, in the evenings and then on holidays and at weekends, uh, you know, any time I could get off the day job. So it wasn't... And I'd published a couple of novels while I was still working as a journalist. So it was a more gentle gear change. So, yeah, but did, did you feel... Um, thank you. Did you feel that, that you... Was it much of a wrench, though, getting jettisoning the the, uh, the, uh, the journalism? Or uh, yeah, I mean, the, the bad thing about giving up journalism is that you're giving up a good salary. And um, in those days, actually still, you know, national newspapers pay you pretty well. And I was towards the top of the tree. So, you know, I went from one year earning whatever it was, 50000 to next year earning about five. Um, <coughs> so that was a bit hairy. Um, so, this, the idea is to get everyone talking about this book. And I, this has just been placed into my hands. And... A week in December, it's called, just for the benefit of your <laughs> radio listeners without um, well, I, cameras. I can tell you for a fact that it's, it's published by Vint, uh, Vintage Press. Oh. Vintage, yeah, still published by Vintage. A week in December, it's called. And all of London is reading it. It's by Sebastian Fuchs, who is you. That's me. <laughs> what's, the, what's the structure? It's about seven Londoners. Yeah, it's about, well, as the, ti- as the title A Week in December suggests, it's set over a week in the winter, about uh, five years ago. And it's the week really before the crash, the big financial crash. And it follows the lives of seven different people. One of them is a, a hedge fund manager. One of them is, drives a tube train. One's a student. One's a lawyer. Uh, and so on. And their lives kind of intersect and cross. It's helped by the fact that the tube train driver is on the circle line. So she kind of picks people up and she links them all together geographically and symbolically and so on. God, you were lucky there, because if she'd been on, like, the Victoria... If she'd been on the Northern Line, we'd never have got started. No, (laughs) while we're here. City Read is a great initiative, which I know little about at the moment, but we're about to find out a lot more, which is encouraging all 33 boroughs have chosen this book and they push it out, they give lots of free copies away, which I wish they wouldn't, I wish they'd sell it, but there it is. In the interest of public literacy and entertainment, I'm very happy with that. And you, it, teacher, that you can always say to yourself, at least yeah. I've, you know, I've, I've done the it. right thing here. It's a very good initiative and uh, to get people into libraries and realise what resources there still are. So I'm very much behind it. Sebastian, thank you very much. It is a great honour, actually, to be chosen. Um, I'm not sure how democratic this process was. Um, <laughs> chances of 33 boroughs agreeing on anything seems to be remote. But maybe there was um, a majority, or maybe you were bulldozed, or maybe you just all spoiled your papers. But one way or another, A Week in December um, is the book that I'm very proud uh, to feel has been chosen to be studied, read, and above all, I hope, enjoyed um, by your users and by people all over this city. particularly exciting for me that it follows on from last year Oliver Twist uh, by Dickens, who is a, a, my probably my favourite British novelist, uh, and it's an honour to tread in those footsteps. Um, Oliver Twist, 
the most memorable character in that book, you would all remember, plied his trade in these very streets behind us in Clerkenwell, which in the, in the time that Dickens had set on the twist was a very, very seedy place indeed. It wasn't full of um, art galleries and guys with ponytails and, and, uh, and cafe lattes and so on. But Fagin uh, is a really mon memorable, monstrous uh, character. And um, he is someone who, who stole, he was a thief. Um, and I suppose, in a way, in A Week in December, there's a kind of parallel character um, who is a character called John Veals, who is a hedge fund manager. And when I started to write A Week in December, I wanted to write a Dickensian-style modern novel set in London. And I was aware when I began, which is about six years ago, uh, that some weird thing was going on with money. I met people who earned five million pounds a year for placing bets with other people's money, and I thought, this is really weird, something's going on. And I wanted to write about them. Uh, among other people, there are many other characters in this book, including a footballer, a tube train driver, a student, a lawyer, and so on. Um, what has happened to this city and to this country is that a small number of people stole all our money. Um, now, at the end of Oliver Twist, Fagin is hanged. <laughs> but so far as I know, very few of the people who stole your money and the future of your children are in prison or have even been charged. So, if uh, that was Sebastian Fox there, if you want to get involved with City Read, um, go onto their website, cityreadlondon.org.uk, and they've got loads of events. I mean, you, I guess you don't have to have read the book, but I think the point is that you do read the, the book. The point is that you do, I think. So. Uh, it's a great book, great one to read. And I think uh, lo they've, they've given out loads of books to local libraries, so go down to your local library, chat to the librarians. Chat to the librarian, you might get a free book. <laughs> um, and this weekend, there's a book treasure hunt, there's a Lambeth City Read book treasure hunt. Mm -hmm. There's uh, there's events all month. It's like, that's like the opposite of Where's Wally, isn't it? <laughs> Where a person has to look for a book instead of a book looking for a person. Yes. What would be really good is if you dressed up as Wally with a little red and white striped jumper. No, hang on, hear me out. And then you, and then you said, "Oh look, you're now part of literature." You said to all these people, "Is that okay?" That's what you should do. <laughs> I can't do it, listener, because I'm on an, engaged in a special ops this this weekend. I'm giving up my weekend for for London life, uh, and I'm going to see Harry Potter, every single Harry Potter film in what I'm calling a Potterthon. <laughs> it's twenty hours of Harry Potter. Twenty. I've never watched a frame of it. I've never read a paragraph of it. I've never, or indeed a sentence. Uh, Beyond the titles, I know nothing about them. I know Daniel Radcliffe's in them, because I've seen Daniel Radcliffe in uh, Woman in Black. He's very good, I thought. You must know some of the other actors. Um, um, who's, who's the... Emma... Emma... Emma Watson. Emma Watson, yeah. Emma Thompson. Oh, well, yeah, Emma Thompson. Everyone knows Emma is Thompson. Is she in it, actually? Yeah, let me have a look. <coughs> oh, oh yes, she is in it. Oh, she's got a good character. I don't want to know. I don't. I want to go. I want to be a complete virgin when I come. I'm, I'm quite excited for you because you're generally being thrust into a very rich world of characters. Because I don't know. I might come out of it thinking that I never want to do that again. I might come out of it thinking that was a really good weekend and I really enjoyed it, and that was some great filmmakers and some great actors doing some really great work telling a brilliant story. That's what I hope will happen. That's what I hope will happen as well. I hope I'll be converted and go, yeah, Harry Potter actually is quite good, actually. I've read the, all the books. Yep. I've seen all the films. I know I'm, I'm a member of Pottermore, the website. No. Yeah, well, we can do that. We, we, actually, that'd be really good. We can, because um, at Hogwarts hmm. school, uh, everyone gets sorted into a house. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's sort of done on... It, like there's a hat that looks deep into your character. Right. And then it tells you which house you're going to do. And you can do this online. So we can find out which house you're going to be in. Excellent. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the, with the house system of, of public school. That's fine. 
Actually, yeah, I, I'm going to do it before I, we go in. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say the names of the houses, and you've got to tell me what you think of the what on on the initial thought of them. Okay. Yeah. Gryffindor. Griffins are sort of uh, noble beasts, aren't they? Uh, half eagle, half lion. I seem to remember. Uh, Gryffindor. Yeah, they sound like they'd be. Uh, a, sound like they'd be quite good, wouldn't they? Quite noble, flying around. Okay. Sounds like, I'd, I'd go for Gryffindor. Yeah. Ravenclaw. Griffin. Griffins used to be the symbol of the Midland Bank before it turned back into HSBC. Yeah. So yeah. So financially astute. What's that? <laughs> Raven. Ravenclaw. Probably, uh, probably slightly darker feel there. Perhaps a little bit sharp and spiky. Uh, and what would the people in Ravenclaw be like? Well, they would be. They would probably be emos and goths, wouldn't they? Emos and goths. Okay. Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. That is me, isn't it? <laughs> Hufflepuff is for plump, soft-faced, harmless, ineffectual people. The middle classes of the uh, the. I know. Uh, I know so many people that I would now attach the word Hufflepuff to. <laughs> um, Richard Griffiths seems to me the physical embodiment of Hufflepuff. Well, he's he's a muggle. I don't I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> uh, and Slytherin. Slimy, creepy, backstabby, nasty pieces of work. So either what? J.K. Rowling is on a great na- uh, bit of work naming the houses, or you're very astute. Right. Now, hang on a minute. You're trying to create a, a school, right? And you're trying to create people that are, um, that are going to go out into the world and be, and be good, be good citizens, or in this case, good wizards. So <clears throat> if you end up in, say, Slytherin, okay, first of all, one, why would you want people like that in your school? You say, because yeah, what is the selection process? I, you are going to be in Slytherin. Right, you are a nasty piece of work. Okay, get out of my school. I don't, I don't want to teach. I don't want to teach kids like that. Or two, two. They then accept that there that is deterministic, and there is no way of turning them round. Are, are you in this? Are you in this uh, house for life? Yeah. Right. Well, then there's no point, is there? You, you, well, you take a nine-year-old child and you write them off for the rest of their lives. As you're, you're in Slytherin. <laughs> okay, as, get out. As you're as you're uh, here in the first film, a lot of good wizards have come out of Slytherin. Really? But on the whole, there are. Nasty pieces of work. Yeah. <laughs> I agree, actually. If you're going to create a school, don't have, like, an evil half. Yeah. And, and also, don't say that you can't change. Yeah. yeah. And also, which of us, which of Among Us, Ollie, would say that we are so uh, unalloyed as, as people with our characters that we cannot change, we cannot do good things, or that, indeed, the good people cannot, cannot be the instruments of evil? It's true. And on that philosophical bombshell, listener... Let's play a song. Let's play a song. Uh, Ollie, slide that vinyl out. Black Moth, Super Rainbow, that's what I want to listen to. You choose the song. Uh, Forever Heavy? Let's have that.
So we, uh, yeah, we heard Sebastian Falks talking about one of the most interesting characters. Well, I, I think every, everyone likes this, likes this character. Is that quite why everyone is? Everyone knows this character. Isn't it interesting? Do we like? Well, let's, it's Fagin from Oliver Twist. Do we like Fagin or not? I think in the original book, he's uh, you know quite dark, and he ends up being hanged, doesn't he? So, I think in 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 the interests of of levity, the musical version tried to try to skip over that and make him play down the anti-Semitism and try and make him more of a sort of lovable rogue, more of a comic character. Well, this is what this is what Aaron and Candace went to find out when they went to uh, a film talk lecture at the Wiener Library, mm-hmm. um, and they found out what's changed in portraying Fagan. A man's got a heart, hasn't he? Joking apart, hasn't he? And though I'd be the first one to say that I wasn't a saint I'm finding it hard to be really as black as they paint A naive Oliver Twist mistakes Fagin's offer for a free place to live as an act of kindness Yet we soon learn that Fagin has almost no redeeming qualities to his character. Fagin's depictions in film adaptations of Oliver Twist have long been controversial because of these overt portrayals of Jews as criminals and negative figures. After protests and calls of anti-Semitism on the part of David Lean's 1948 film Oliver Twist, there was a movement away from portraying Fagin as a strongly stereotyped Jewish character. In subsequent film adaptations, Fagin has become less and less Jewish. This week, we traveled to the Wiener Library in Russell Square to attend a film talk on the Jewish villain. This lecture, of course, focused on Fagin. We spoke to Dr. Charles Drazen of Queen Mary, University of London. Fagin is um, a fence. A fence is someone who trades stolen goods. Um, and in order to carry out his work, he... Um, provides board and lodging to orphaned children. Um, So, you know, at heart, he's a fairly despicable character, um, dooming these these, um, children really to to a life life of crime. Uh, But he dresses himself up as, um, you know, a very benevolent, warm character. And the sinister term I would probably use today is that he grooms these children to do this evil work. The situation can the fella be a villain all his life? All the trials and tribulation. Better settle down and get myself a wife! In Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist, the character Fagin is a notorious London villain. An old miser that leads children to a life of crime through pickpocketing, Fagin is continuously referred to as the Jew and is strongly characterized as a stereotypical Jewish criminal. I think I'd better think it out again. Um, so was Dickens' character, characterization of Fagin, like, as the Jew, um, like, a product of personal prejudice, or was it, like, a relatively accurate portrayal of, like, what people were feeling about Jews in London at the time? I think, uh, I think at that time, it's, you know, it's very difficult to go back a hundred and, well, it's 150 years, <laughs> no, there's more than that, 1837, that takes us back a long, long way. But I think what you have, you have a completely different society and you have, you know, the word we would use today is institutional racism. And I think Dickens was a very progressive person trying to change a very um, backward society by our standards. Um, and, but nonetheless, he was susceptible to the institutional racism of his time. And... Um, I think when it was pointed out to him, he made efforts to, to correct what was a gross stereotype. Um, but nonetheless, you can't, it's very hard to, you know, you look at, um, you read the novel, um, and it is a racist stereotype without, without question. Um, so, how have the film adaptations of Fagin changed throughout the 20th and now 21st century? Like, um, has Fagin the character changed 
at all. Well, I, I think the big change, and maybe the lean version, which was so faithful to the original Dickens concept of the character, in spite of the racist stereotype, has a lot to do with this. The controversy of the lean movie, which presented um, this stereotype of a Jewish villain, um, received such um, a rough ride um, and was somehow so out of step with um, the post, um, post-war world that subsequent adaptations really had to, to um, rehabilitate Fagin. So I think there's been a tendency um, since um, the lean version really to make Fagin a much warmer character, not such a villain, of course... Um, really the, the turning point in that was the, the, uh, the, the um, musical Lionel Bart musical I feel like it's, it's um, I feel like it's pretty difficult to kind of change Fagin into a warmer type of person because at the heart of it he's still kind of deceiving children into thinking that uh, a life of crime is the correct life and that you only get ahead by like, stealing from others so I think that's pretty interesting Oh, well, I think you're correct. I think in, in some way, I mean, I love the Oliver movie, but in a different way. It's almost as deceitful and, 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 and objectionable as, as the, the, um, the, the racial stereotypes you get in Dickens and Lean, because it's, it's pretending that it's fine to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, using children to, to steal things for you. And of course it isn't. Um, and finally, uh, do you believe that, um, like, shying away from portraying Fagin as a strongly Jewish character detracts from the story at all? Like, if, if Fagin were still the same villain, but he wasn't Jewish, would it make anything different? Well, I think that the idea of a Jewish villain and stereotype is inseparably part of the novel that Dickens wrote, um, but, you know, we're, it's, this is 2013, um, we can do different things, and it's we can we can do what we like with Fagin. You know, you go to, to to the novel, you don't have to to respect exactly what Dickens wrote in 1837. You can take that character forward um, if you wish to do so. The situation. I must quickly look up everyone I know. Titled people with a station who can help me make a real impressive show. I will own a suite at Claridge's and run a fleet of carriages and wave at all the duchesses with friendliness as much as is befitting of my new estate. Good morrow to you, magistrate! <laughs> I think i better think it out again. Time seventy when you're old and it's cold, and who cares if you live or you die? Your one consolation's the money you may have put by. I'm a baden and a baden, I shall stay. You'll be seeing no transformation. But it's wrong to be a rogue in every way. I don't want nobody hurt for me or made to do the dirt for me. This rotten life is not for me. It's getting far too hot for me. There is no in-between for me. But who will change the scene for me? Don't want no one to rob for me. But who will find a job for me? That's quite a good, uh, quite a good musical, isn't it, Oliver? Mm. Uh, so that was Fagin, Ron Moody, Ron Moody, with uh, reviewing the situation. Yeah, originally born uh, Ron Moodnick, but they changed their name to Moody. They anglicised it. And they say you never learn anything on this show. They do say that.
constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually leads us nicely into our next feature. We um, went to the Ig Nobel Awards, didn't we? We do. Uh, we are not, uh, Ollie and I are very, very keen on our science. Uh, the Ig Nobel Awards are it's improbable research, things that make you laugh and then think, is the tagline. It's so people that have researched weird and interesting and unlikely things. So I've got the uh, <coughs> I've got the program for uh, for the show we went to. This we wasn't the actual Ig Nobel Awards. They take place at Harvard. Yeah, Harvard. Or is it MIT? Harvard. Harvard. This is the Institution of Engineering and Technology that we went to, and it's just a, a presentation on some of the some of the interesting bits of research that have been done. So we had uh, the study of canine tail chasing and human responses to it. Yes, why, why do dogs chase their own tails? And more interestingly, what is it about doing that that makes us laugh? Well, it was quite interesting because she said that um, when dogs chase their own tails, it could be actually like an underlying cause. Mm. So really, so initially, when you find out that she her research was watching four hundred videos of dogs t- chasing their tails on YouTube, you think it's a bit crazy. Mm. But then, when you actually realise that it's quite important yeah. for a dog's welfare if they're constantly chasing their tails, and and YouTube does give us an insight into people's lives. That I mean, obviously, there's a problem with selection because not everyone is going to record their dog chasing their tail. So maybe you'd get the ones that do it pathologically. And then of those, not everyone's going to put it up to YouTube. But there's still quite an interesting... Because I, I wouldn't have thought that dogs would chase their tails pathologically until uh, and, until we, we went to this, this thing. So it's a, it was a real eye-opener for me on that. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. So we had that. And then uh, next, Siobhan Abayasinghe. Yeah, so how, how do you pronounce that name? I would say that's Siobhan, Siobhan yeah. Abayasinghe. Abayasinghe, Okay. And she uh, she looked at whether or not hens have friends. Again, it sounds crazy, but it's important because if you've got lots of chickens and you're farming chickens, do you let them have have make friendships and do you nurture those friendships, and, or do you keep them separate? It was all about not just eliminating negative welfare, mm. but actually promoting positive welfare, promoting positive. which was quite a nice story. I mean, it didn't they didn't make friends at all. No, but so, yeah. The thought behind it. <laughs> the thought behind it was kind of... Now, I think it's Ben Goldegg who suggested there should be a journal of, of null hypotheses. Uh, which what? is Because what you have is when you do a, do a study, you're saying, well, the null hypothesis is the chickens don't make friends. But one hypothesis is that they do make friends. And so you might say, oh, well, we found the null hypothesis and this is true. And therefore you publish that. But people would normally say, I'm only going to publish it if I found something interesting. But it might be interesting to know what people have found doesn't actually have any impact whatsoever. Yeah. Because then you don't end up repeating endless null hypotheses that people have done and just found, oh, it just hasn't worked out. <laughs> Won't bother publishing this. Um, and then uh, the headliner of the night. Yes. Uh, Dr. Chris McManus. I assume he's a doctor. Is he? Yeah, he is a yeah, doctor. He's a yeah, medical yeah. doctor. Um and he was talking about scrotal asymmetry and in man and ancient sculpture. Exactly. Of course, what else are you going to do on a on a wet evening here in London when the when it, when spring has failed to spring? Um, <laughs> yeah, we talked about scrotal asymmetry. So he went to Italy mm-hmm. on, uh, when he was a lot younger, about twenty years ago or something. Longer than that is nineteen seventy three. Oh right. He's Quite been making. He's been dining out on this story <laughs> <laughs> for um, longer than I've been alive. Uh, and he looked at loads of uh, statues, yep. and obviously a lot of statues in, in Italy are... Remember, this is a family show. And, and even science... You're not saying oh, nudes. dare you. Um, and, and so he uh, studied the scrota. My listener's ears burning. <laughs> the scrota. Scroti. And, uh... Scrotati. <laughs> of, st- of statues, and realised that they were rather different to the real thing. He didn't just like go around Italy looking at normal people, like non-statue people. No, he went back to Kinsey, didn't he? But again, makes you laugh, and then it makes you think. And he, yeah. we actually had a conversation with him afterwards. Yeah, he's got a book out about asymmetry in, in people. And he said that if everything was symmetrical, there'd be no. Oh, it wasn't him actually, was it? Was it something like Aristotle? 
said if everything was symmetrical, there'd be nothing to study.
slips. Avoid congestion, nasty slips. Don't use the door when you hear the pips. And listen to Ollie Hunter's tube tips. Tube tips, tube tips. Ollie, Ollie Hunter's tube tips. Everyone takes the tubes every day, right? That's correct. I, yeah, there's no, no question. Every man, woman, child, infant and animal takes the tube every day, Ollie. Whether they be Londoners or on the furthest flung islands of the Antipodes, everyone takes the tube. <coughs> you are 100% correct. I will not hear any dissent from that position. So, and you have discovered there are all kinds of little tips and tricks and things that can make your journey easier. Yes. I mean, you can get, um, there are apps that will help you. Mm -hmm. So there's the Tube Exits app, yeah. which will tell you which is the best way. It's best, best, uh, best part of the train to sit on if you want to get a quick, speedy getaway, especially in the morning. Because it can be, because it can be very busy in the morning and you want to get out. Okay. Uh, here's, here's a good one, that one that I didn't consider because I was just trying to think about uh, speeding. Just getting speeding through the, the uh, station. <laughs> um, beware corner seats. Ah, oh, why should I beware corner seats? Uh, this is, this is uh, from a user on the London subreddit. And it's he says that... Um, the appeal of having only one neighbour is obvious, but you're in the firing line when any borderline elderly person or possibly pregnant woman comes on. Mm. Then you had to give up your seat. Yeah. No, I guess. I was actually on the tube the other day, and I had already given up my seat, and then someone else, and, uh, for one half of a couple, an elderly couple, and then someone else who was standing up went, will anyone else stand up to give this uh, old lady a seat? She didn't say old lady. Give this lady a seat. Senior citizen. And then everyone sort of looked round. And I think, uh, I can't remember, I think maybe she picked on someone's like, um, do you think you can move? And then someone stood up. It's a lot of politics on the tube. It's a lot of psychology, sociology. I mean, because uh, I said to my mum, would, yeah, it must be a bit embarrassing when you get to an age where people start giving up their seats on the bus. And she's like, oh no, I love it. I love it. I sometimes. So I try and make myself look a bit look a bit more decrepit. <laughs> um. So those were three fantastic tube tips. I've got more. Well, do we want to make this a, a weekly feature or do we? No, it's not enough. <laughs> so if you're um, if you're travelling via King's Cross anyway, and if you need to change, this is the fourth tip of the day. Yeah, there's plenty of tips. There's more than that. Uh, if you need to change from the Piccadilly to the Northern, or Northern to Piccadilly, which mm. you, you may be I doing. Yeah. yeah, so if we were going from Hammersmith and you wanted to get up to, I don't know, what's on the Northern line above Kingscroft? Kentish Town. Kentish Town. Camden. Camden. Uh, you're, you're ordinarily... Uh, you're ordinarily uh, uh, direct, directed down a, a very long tunnel. Yeah, I know that. However... Okay, so you're, say you're going south on the Piccadilly line. Yeah. Get near the front of the train, mm -hmm. get off and walk up, walk to the front and up the stairs. Get going north on the northern line, get on the back of the train, at King's Cross walk towards the back and take the stairs. Right. So it's not always t following the sign. Yeah, sometimes those signs are a bit, uh, yeah. Because I, I tell you what, Ollie, what I want to be, it's one of those people where I go out and I'm, I'm it says way out, and I go the way out, I see other people going in other directions. Mm. I'm thinking, wait, where can they possibly be going to? I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people that seems to know where they're going and has, and has learned, apparently by trial and error, but only thanks to Ollie Hunter's tube tips. Listener, you and I can step forward into this happy future. One more? The sunlit uplands. If you, if you, think, if you think the show can bear the weight of one more Ollie Hunter tube tip, go for it. Okay, so I do this every now and then because I live in Mile End and I, uh, if I'm going home to see my parents, I'll, I need to get there. Mm -hmm. Central to Bank, Waterloo and City to Waterloo, train to Leatherhead. So, uh, I do as well. But if you're changing the other way, going from Waterloo and City to Central line, tap out the Waterloo and City, go up the moving walkway. Yeah. 
and then down the escalator to the central line. Do you know how long that saves? I can't remember how long. Around three minutes. Wow! Yes. Three minutes, that's long enough to read a page of Sebastian Falk's book. That's long enough to hear some of the thing about Fagin. That's long enough to do all kinds of things. And with that, dear listener, we are going to release you back into One more. your... One more, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was on a roll there. I was going to... That was a brilliant outro. It was good. It was good. But... Come on. Okay, one more. One more. Um, say, it's very busy in the morning. That's true. Very That's true. Another fact. Yeah. All the all these people get in the tube. Why don't we just kill them all? That yeah, that was the tip. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you see someone else kill them, no, go on. What is your? What this is, is it. This is the final tip. Legitimate tip. Uh, if you're on some of the some of the platforms, if it says "mind the gap" on the bottom of the floor, that's where the door's going to open. So you stand by that. And is that is that off the internet or is that a personal? One? That's a personal one actually. And another one, one more. But it's related. It's still about doors. Yeah. Uh, if you're say you're coming down uh, stairs to a, a tube platform, mm-hmm. uh, where you'll be turning left or right to get onto the tube, the doors will always open there. Because it's for people like running from one platform to the other. Yeah. Ah, oh. oh, right, okay. So that is a, another time saving device, uh, time saving uh, tip from Ollie Hunter's Tube Tips. And if yeah, you're, but, but if it's really busy, just walk up the platform a bit, don't stand yeah, at the same place. Can't stand it when people do that. They get off the escalator and they stop, or they go through and they see they're on the platform. I will stop, and you push your way through thousands of people, and then the rest of it is all. Free and you know, so, uh, uh. so next week, next week, bus tips. I'm not making another jingle for bus tips, it's tube tips, bus tube tips. tips, tube tips. Everyone, move your hips to Oliver Hunter's lovely, great big tube, tube, tube tips. Mind the gap, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, that's all, listeners. So, have a lovely and uh, enjoy the rest of your journeys around London. Uh, expediated as they are by uh, Ollie's tips there. I'm a bit worried about the the use of the word tips now. It's too much. I'm Ian Hawkins. My producer is Ollie Hunter. You're listening to Zone 1 Radio. This has been London Life. Join us next week where we'll have more crazy stuff, including the Harry Potter-thon. You can follow us on Twitter at... London Life Radio. And also... Is it Z1 Radio? Z1 Radio, yeah. Z1 Radio. I'm actually Mr. Hawkins. Ollie, you're at? Oh, I'll just be at home. Good. <laughs> but today's word for the day, dear listener, is percipient. Percipient, having perception. Discerning, discriminating, a percipient choice of wines is the example given here. And you are a very percipient listener. Bye. Zone1radio.com.